You'd have a cohort pulled from the dying? A recruit from derelict ships? Flotsam of space? You'd have us collect scraps. And offer second chances. What if we take this ship and build a better board? A real collective, based not on assimilation, but salvation. Think about it. A Borg collective that embraces the uniqueness of its members. You ask us to embrace weakness. I'm positing that what you've written off as weakness is actually strength. Cooperation. Your proposal is absurd. Transfer complete. Hello and welcome to Subspace Transmissions, the podcast where two Trek fans step into the arena and tackle the best, worst, weirdest, wildest, and everything in between that Star Trek has to offer. I'm Cam Smith, and joining me on the Borg-infested bridge... Uh, this is Tyler Orton, sharing the recollection of Elnor's final breath. <laughs> and we're here this week um, for a couple reasons. We're going to start off and talk about the latest episode of Picard, the penultimate episode of Season 2, Hide and Seek. And a little later in the show, we're going to do a primer on Strange New Worlds, which premieres next week. But, Tyler, this is the penultimate of Picard. Um, well? <laughs> well, yeah, so I, I guess we can talk a couple bit of the plot points. Uh, uh, this series is still not working for me at all, but uh, look, uh, you got the Borg invasion of the La Serena and the Chateau, which we all kind of predicted would play out as it did here, and I guess what we have is, is confirmation of two things that, you know what, Gerardi uh, is indeed the new Borg queen. Yeah. I remember being ridiculed on this Facebook thread when I suggested that it might not be Picard's mother. Um, people were very adamant that I was an idiot. And I was like, okay, well then. And we also have uh, insights into, you know, Picard's mother in that, you know, she, she uh, hanged herself while Picard was a child. And he had to kind of carry that weight with him and compartmentalize for a long time. And I don't know. It just seems to me like these writers, they have to define everything by the misery of these characters. And, uh... You know, this Picard family, it's a tough go between dying in fires and uh, hanging themselves. And I don't know, maybe Rene Picard blows up on uh, the Europa mission on upon liftoff. But uh, we'll see if the, the crew saves the day, which guess what, Cam? I suspect they will. Yeah, I mean, there was a lot of fumbling around in the dark in this week's episode. And then there was also characters running around in tunnels underground. Um, <laughs> this episode <laughs> was... Um, <laughs> Boy, um, I mean, this this take on Star Trek they have now is very derivative. I think when you watch, um, you know, past Star Trek shows, like they may be derivative of themselves, but they're doing their own stories. Um, this to me just felt like things I've seen a billion times. I was reminded a lot of Skyfall, quite frankly, through a big chunk of this thing, and it began to but a terrible be... version of Skyfall. Yeah, one with actually no understanding of action geography because I have yeah. no idea what the layout of that house is. It was just blasty, 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 blasty. I didn't care about anything that happened. I knew that the characters would be okay. There, there's no tension at all throughout this. I, I, I'm going to keep going back to Better Call Saul because it's airing right now. But um, they, they had some uh, very tense sequences 
in the last few weeks, and guess what? It didn't last for 75% of the episode, and those episodes were far more thrilling than anything we got this week from Hide and Seek. I watched Moon Knight fight an invisible beast um, in a street, and it had, like, infinitely better understanding of action choreography than anything in this episode. And like that and was, was like, that on television or just in your free time? <laughs> That's when I dress up and take to the streets, yeah. <laughs> and fight imaginary beasts. <laughs> well, that's why they're invisible. <laughs> yes, yeah. yes. Yeah, it's like, if you're not, like, I don't understand. How did we, like, as a Picard show, get to a point where, like, seasons are based on, like, firefights with, like, teams of infected mercenaries? Like, the whole point of this show, I remember them pitching it. They, this is not me making this up. This is them communicating to the you know the audience out there. They said Discovery is our action show. Picard yeah. is our philosophical you know kind of reflective show. Uh, no, it isn't, and they're not creating that show at all. And working in kind of these melodramatic trauma-based stories, okay, but it's not like they're exploring it. It's all based on. You know, in this case, literally a key. It was Picard literally picking up a key and unlocking <laughs> his childhood traumas. And it's like so simplistic. And you and I just the other night were talking, not on the podcast, but we were talking about this show in comparison because we've done it many times on the show, said things like, um, you know, the CW superhero shows, um, you know, your, you know, your Batgirl and Legends of Tomorrow and all those kinds of shows, The Flash. But I was really thinking about it after that conversation. I thought, you know... The thing about those shows is they may not be, you know, great, but I think they have a pretty, uh, you know, solid understanding of their source material and mythology. Whereas, like, when I watch Picard, I'm like, I don't think they really understand Star Trek mythology or writing very well at all. So it actually does, to me, belong more in what we maybe thought, you know, the other night at dinner, which is it belongs more in kind of the camp of stuff like those primetime action shows like Lethal Weapon or... um you know, MacGyver, things like that. Like, it doesn't feel like they're aspiring for anything higher, nor do they have a really strong understanding of mythology. And I don't mind updating. Updating's great. I love the Casino Royale film, which is nothing like past Bond films, but it feels like Picard is just, as I said, fumbling around in the dark. Well, I think the number one problem, though, is they are hanging themselves on these season-long arcs that aren't very interesting, and then they are just trying to make it happen. So that means stretching storylines out way beyond any sort of interesting value. And this is what we get. I'll, I'll tell you one thing, you know, I, that the one thing I found interesting in this episode was when Seven of Nine was talking about her efforts to join Starfleet. Mm -hmm. uh, Janeway would go to bat, threaten to resign. Hey, spoiler, I don't think Janeway resigned. I think Starfleet <laughs> called her bluff. But um, that's the sort of stuff I want to hear about. That's the stuff I want to explore. And also, Cam, why is Seven only telling her Starfleet girlfriend this now? They've dated for like a year, and she never thought to bring it up to Rafi ever before? Well, this is a show that is based on characters parsing out information at dramatic moments. Like, <laughs> none of it makes sense. Even like the whole unlocking, <laughs> literal unlocking of Picard's memory. He's like telling this story to, um, um, I'm always blanking on the name of this character. Um, oh, Talon? Yeah, Talon. Because um, I only remember the previous name, uh, Talon. Um, and so it's like he's doling out this information, boom, we got to stop. Because guess what? They just got attacked. And it's like, okay, it's all based on, I'm sure the writers are going like, it, this is like going to crescendo. It's it's like an orchestra. We are bringing up all the instruments in this grand dramatic gesture. But it, it's, it feels really like hacky. 
Well, the other thing is that they don't know how to really write an exciting episode or something thrilling to watch because, look, you've got, like, these lame action sequences and then you cut to this really boring childhood, miserable, you know, flashback. And I'm just like, okay. And then you go back to a really crappy action sequence again. And then you... You, you, it comes to a screeching halt once more. You, you know, it, it's like it's just these like very like random scenes that are just. It, it seems as if these shows are just kind of Frankensteined together in the editing bay, and I don't like. It seems as if these folks just don't know the basics. Kim, you, you've been mentioning it again and again. Just the weird editing going on. Mm. There were two particular cuts where you've got the music swelling, then it suddenly cuts to a different scene, and the music just goes silent. You don't even hit that crescendo. It's so awkwardly done. There is even one sequence. Remember in La Serena towards the end where, like, you have Seven of Nine on the transporter pad, you know, with her gut bleeding out. And then the music crescendo, crescendos has the awkward cut as if it's going to a commercial break. Yeah. And then it ends up right at the exact same scene. I'm just like, this is Bush League amateur hour stuff. Like, what is going on here? I mean, I worked on uh, local public access television for almost a decade of my life, and we would never do anything like that. It's really insane choices that I don't understand. Well, I, I don't know. I just, like, I, I don't see this redeeming itself, you know, for me by the end of it. I, I, I'm adamantly in this camp here. I think this is a worse season than the first season, and I didn't think that was going to be possible. I thought they had learned their lessons, which they did. It seems they just learned the wrong lessons because they were making it up as they went along in season one that that's been confirmed. Uh, here, it seems as if, no, we have an ending in mind and then we have to reverse engineer everything, cram these uh, you know uh, square pegs into round holes and doesn't matter what happens. Like we're going toward end point no matter what. And I'm and the, the victim here is uh, you've got these just nonsensical scenes that drag up forever. You've got these uh, plot lines that don't deserve uh, whatever time is spent there. And I really don't feel as if I've explored these characters in an interesting sort of way. This is not the Jean-Luc Picard that I, I knew from, you know, like 30 years ago. And people are like, well, you know, that's called character development. I'm like, well, is it? It seems like an entirely brand new character. And I think the lesson that we, we get with a, a really smart well done series like the sopranos is a question they're always asking is like to what degree do people have the capacity for change and the people can grow and develop you look at somebody like you know say julian Bashir, uh that's somebody i i i, I can follow that journey it doesn't feel as if we've followed a, a journey though it's just it's miserable you know bumbling picard who is now redefining his key character traits uh, like it, it's re like really retconning what this character was about where he's now defined by loneliness and um they're really hammering the themes of this uh season in, in, into their viewers brains by talking about how Gerardi figures out that the board queen she's really just lonely cam that's all it is i i, I want to call her the the uh the drama Borg queen now <laughs> yeah and they also um talked about connection in this one and i'm like is there like some sort of like motivational poster on the wall of the Trek writers rooms for these various shows where they're like connection, um, you know, like tethers? Like, why do we keep repeating the same language in all of these shows? It's, it's re really weird. Yeah, there, there's a, a tether slash clothesline of a cat hanging off of it that says, <laughs> hang in there, baby. And, you know, that that's those are the posters like uh, uh, decorating the walls of those writers rooms. Yeah, it's like, hang in there, baby. It's all about connection. <laughs> it's like, oh, <laughs> it is all about connection. Yeah, wait, wait for that cat to connect with the uh, ground below it. 
<laughs> no, that's what this season feels like. It's just a total train wreck. I, I honestly am just completely dismayed. Going into it, I was, I was pumped. Going into it, I liked the first two episodes. I could kind of handle the third episode. I was like, okay, this is just like a, a flaming trash pile at this point. Now, this issue is trying to tackle mental illness, which its depiction of mental illness is strange to me because I'd like to think by the time you get to the 24th century or 23rd century, like they would have different approaches for dealing with mental illness. Whereas like what they're showing me on Picard, it, it's almost like Picard is living in like a gothic fantasy like, or something like a hollow novel. Rebecca? Yeah, like, I, oh, I was thinking of Rebecca when they had her locked in the room and she was calling out. Yes. I was, like, thinking of Rebecca. And I'm like, this doesn't make sense. Like, this house seems to have no futuristic equipment whatsoever. Like, there's no... It seems like they live in an old-timey manner well, where there's no yeah. means of looking after anything. And I remember um, the episode Whom Gods Destroy in um, the original series where you had Garth of Izar who had taken over, like, a prison... And, like, the idea was at the end of that, they're like, oh, it's okay. We can help him. Like, we can give him the help he needs so he can live a normal life. Like, it seems like Picard, like, that is not an option. Like, whatever his mother went through, there was no options whatsoever. I Like, uh, no medication, no universal health care to help her out. Uh, like, and I cannot believe that um, no matter what kind of... Um, uh, vineyard owner you are you're not gonna lock your wife against her will in a room to cure her of deep depression no and put your put your child in the situation uh, of letting her out so that she hangs herself like this is just it's terribly offensive that to people that are, are dealing with this sort of stuff and like how surface level and like just melodramatic they're being with this subject matter and i think all of us know someone who's gone through depression and maybe, you know, us ourselves or people we know or family members. I mean, I can speak that it, within my household, we had depression issues. And what I see on this show just feels like a cartoon as opposed to examining it with any sort of reality or understanding about the individual. Like, they've actually done something I find kind of icky, which is something you would see maybe more in like a horror film or something where the person who has depression is scary. And the way she's behaving with Picard is almost like something that's dangerous as opposed to like a lesson for a young Picard to learn about someone who is having issues and how they could overcome that. Like it's portrayed as this nightmare over Picard's life now. Well, it's really like what we're to believe now when we go back and we watch Star Trek The Next Generation is that Picard is who he is because his mother had severe mental health issues and his dad was a quote-unquote curmudgeon. Mm. And I'm like, like, you're redefining the character in a way that it, it really does a disservice to him at this point. It's a character I just don't understand anymore. And it's one of those things where um, there's been many cases where we revisit old properties years down the road. Um, you know, you can look at Prometheus or uh, the Star Wars sequels and all that sort of stuff. And like, I tend to find like, for the most part, you can kind of accept them on their own terms and whatever. But there are cases of these things where you just, after you see it, you're like, I'm going to pretend I never watched that because I don't need to acknowledge it. Like, I can just have the original stories. They work on their own. This is irrelevant. And that's kind of what I feel like Picard is. You know, we're wandering down that territory now where it's like, 
when we get to the end of Picard, maybe it's better I just forget I watched all of it and I just I got TNG and I got the movies. Yeah, it's kind of like you can kind of play headcanon, make your own personal sort of headcanon. Uh, it's just, oh, Cam, I, I, I guess the way I can try to rationalize it somehow is, you know, Picard, he literally did die in the uh, season one finale. Yeah. So maybe these quote unquote memories uh, that Gollum Picard is having, maybe it's just um, Dr. Uh, Alden Soong, um inserting some messed up shit in there because we all know that his ancestor is a psychopath too. So who knows? Mm hmm. Uh, yeah, and that <laughs> that moment where Soong had the phaser on them and then threw it in the air and disappeared, I was like, holy crap, <laughs> this is like 90s primetime TV 101. <laughs> he reminded me of, uh, remember when uh, Ben Stiller guest starred on Arrested Development as Tony Wonder, the magician <laughs> rival to Job? And it yeah. Just, like, he kept like disappearing and uh, reappearing in all these like awkward spaces like that. This is what the show's come to. It really seems like a joke at this point. Well, they have a lot of moments on the show. I should say this season. I don't even know if I want to say this show because I don't think they did this as much in season one where you'll have a character that will get away when people could easily catch up with them. We had this like with that um, parking brawl fight with uh, Seven and, you know, the new board queen and uh, Rafi where it like did one of its dramatic fades to the next scene, but it's just her like walking away in broad daylight. And then the next scene is them being like, well, she got away. And yeah, really. <laughs> um, they did the same thing here with Soong, where it's like he runs out the door, but it's like, well, Soong is like a, I don't know, late 60s, 70s man. Like, I'm sure they could have sent someone to chase him down. I've, I have all these able-bodied people. Uh, <laughs> I think I think Gollum Picard could have chased him down too. Most likely, most likely. And, I mean, there are some elements here I think we can have a little bit of a conversation about because there are some additions to Star Trek canon aside from the um, Picard mother stuff. But we seem to have a new Borg Queen now that is a merging of Agnes and, you know, the original Borg Queen. And they are going to um, form a collective based on salvation? Yeah, and embracing the uniqueness of the flotsam of outer space. Okay, now... This is one of those things where I'm like, this sounds, I'm sure, really good on the page, but I'm trying to work it practically in my head because the Borg, their big thing was to assimilate people and implant them with nanoprobes and to essentially create a Borg race. Um, if this is a case where people's individuality is embraced, are people now signing up to be infected with nanoprobes or do they just hang out with the Borg Queen? I think they have to, I think it's essentially the losers of outer space have to sign up to be assimilated. And I think it's a collective in which, I don't know, it's more of a democratic collective as opposed to being ordered around. I, I mean, I, I'm trying to like give them the benefit of the doubt or try to yeah. make sense of this. It, it's just, it's, I guess that's how it works. I don't know. How do you think it would work? It ha I think I, I really am struggling with the assimilation aspect, like the nanoprobes, like, that's where I go, like, that's kind of icky. And as we've seen from the Borg, they are, like, whatever species they're dealing with, they are, like, drastically stripping them down and replacing them with cybernetic parts and all that sort of thing. I'm sure there's, you know, characters out there who would sign up for this, but it seems like the numbers would be quite small, and this kind of concept of hope, I don't know that the Borg can offer that. And again, I want to give the show a little bit of the benefit of the doubt. I shouldn't, but I want to because you and I have talked in the past about how the current version of the Borg that we've been exploring for quite a while now 
it's kind of run out of gas. There's nothing you can do. The Borg needs to evolve. And I think I said I would like to see the Borg evolve into whatever the next phase is, whatever the one that they feel can meet a higher level of perfection than they have been able to so far. It seems like this is what it's going to be. I just am struggling with the idea of people just given free reign of their own lives, deciding to sign up to become Borg. Uh, I guess drones won't be the perfect uh, term to use anymore, but Borg members? I, I would say it's like, okay, I, I, it's going to be a bad analogy somehow, but let's say you are, and please give me some grace as I try to work through this analogy here, but let's say you live in a third world country, you're mm. dirt poor, uh, what if somebody from a first world country said, hey, would you like to sign up and live on this commune? And everybody gets to eat. You've got like universal health care. Uh, you know, just contribute your thoughts. And we're all there for you. Come on over. Mm-hmm. And if you want to leave, yeah, and it's not for you, go for it. Uh, we are a uh, democratic sort of based organization. You'll just have to trust us, even though uh, we do have our leader called the queen. Like, I, that, that's how I can rationalize it in my head somehow. Yeah, like, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. The idea of, you know, because Agnes is someone who I don't think ever really felt like she belonged. I don't know that the show could ever figure really out what to do with her either. But um, No, they knew what to do with her. Just keep having uh, alien life forms uh, influence uh, her decision-making all throughout the season. Well, that's true. So the idea of her, you know, someone who feels lonely, wanting to reach out to other lonely people, that all makes sense to me. The idea that the Borg could create, like, a better world for these people... um, yeah, it, it's the to me. I really have a wall coming up over the nanoprobes and creating Borg, uh, you know, people that look like Borg. If we are well, removing I, I, that, I, I, yeah, I, I don't think that's what the intention is. Like, okay. I think it's people that are agreeing to become part of this Borg collective. They're not agreeing to get their arms chopped off mm. and replaced with like, you know, like uh, some sort of robot tentacles. It, it's more like uh, what those. Uh, super those uh, Borg soldiers looked like through these action sequences where you can kind of see the imprint imprints of like um, nanoprobes flowing through them but right. it's not as if they've got like cybernetic eyeballs popping out of uh, their their uh, cavities or anything like that yeah and she did say we need to create like a you know legion of sevens essentially like, let's get out there and create sevens who have that individuality so maybe it is more of those slight cosmetic Borg elements, as you said, and that's just the way going forward. I don't know that that will lend itself to maybe stories people are ultra-excited to see, but I, I am at least interested in the idea of this being something we could explore in the future. I just... I, do I want to see this in Picard Season 3? No. I just, no. I, do I want to see it on another show? Perhaps, but I also don't know what show that would be at this point. Do, do you think Jurati will be a main character in season three that is an excellent question because you're bringing the tng cast back i think they're going to want whatever the problem is is going to be something that sort of has a very strong iconography uh iconography within the world of tng like we're doing q on the season we've done the borg we did romulan stuff last season i think it has to be something like that if you're kind of reassembling the team and so, like, it wouldn't shock me if, at the very least, um, Gerardi slash Borg Queen does play a supporting role, at least for a, a few episodes next season. Like, do you think she'd be more of a guest star 
though, or do you think she would be kept around in the main cast? It, you know, like that's kind of what I, I, I'm struggling with yeah. right now is where does the character go from here? Unless we're going to have yet another season devoted to the next evolution of the Borg, which I, I couldn't care less about. No, and that's the thing. I think as a guest star, it would make sense to me as a season long character. Um, I don't know. I, I I feel like they've already got this show can't juggle its you know various elements very well, and now you're gonna bring back all these TNG cast members and try to juggle all them plus some of these other characters. I would almost prefer they just set Agnes up, send her off at the end of this season. We can perhaps meet up with this version of the Borg Queen uh, in some other you know whether it's a standalone streaming movie or another series or whatever in the future, and just. Do something fresh. I think we just got to let everything from season two go away and just start over. Start from, you know, real fresh page on season three. Yeah, a question here is some of this stuff that jumped out to me that I'm just like, huh? But, uh, you know, when they were talking about Seven, you know, it said like, uh, you know, like Seven, didn't you love her once too? Hmm. Uh, that, that's what Jurati was saying to the Borg Queen during that sequence. Um, okay, my understanding is like that that wasn't... okay. We're dealing with the alt-timeline Borg Queen here that existed within that Confederation reality. Yeah. But she had a sense, like a preternatural sense, that there's something off within the timelines. But it wasn't as if she fully saw what the prime timeline was. It was the prime timeline Borg Queen that had that special relationship with Seven of Nine, not this Borg Queen, because this Borg Queen is from an alt timeline, or an altered prime timeline, essentially. Yes, I had the same thought. Um, It's this Borg Queen knows President Annika Hansen. Yeah. Um, Also, the question I just, is the capital of Earth in uh, the Confederation timeline, is it Los Angeles? Huh, that's an excellent question. They've never... um, underline that one perhaps it is yeah. or was it oh no maybe it was san francisco because weren't wasn't there a statue of adam sung like yes outside like the uh golden gate bridge or something there was that yeah that's right and i think okay i'm having to like flash back to many many weeks ago um wasn't wasn't like where annika was situated wasn't that like where the um essentially starfleet headquarters and stuff is yeah, but like yeah. in our prime timeline, um, Federation headquarters mm-hmm. was in Paris. Right. So, okay. Uh, San Francisco, Paris, both beautiful cities. It's just, I don't know. It's just, to me, I just don't know how much thought the, the writers put into this. Or I, I don't know because there's always these Easter eggs, but it's like, okay, you're dropping on these Easter eggs, but then like you can't just do basic storytelling. Like I, I, I'm so frustrated with this show. We had the return of Elnor as well as the... Uh, oh my god, Cam. <laughs> the combat hologram. Uh, who, this is embarrassing. Yeah. Um, I mean, when he appeared, it's funny. Like, I was not remotely surprised. <laughs> <laughs> and then when it turned into John Wick for about, you know, a minute and a half, I was like, <laughs> oh, wow. Like Again, it's kind of that derivative thing, which Star Trek is known for ripping itself off. We did a whole episode about how Star Trek can, you know, rip off its classic stories and look at them through a different lens or whatever. Whereas, like, 
it's rare that Star Trek rips off other things so, like, obviously. And it felt like this episode did that a lot, and a lot of this season has. Yeah, I, I just, okay, this is what I, I, I want to ask you about, though, is the, the journeys of the characters throughout mm-hmm. this season. Um, Elnor, what, when we get to the end of this season, what is his journey? He died after three episodes. And they've tried to drop him in sporadically throughout the season. Soji, uh, she's gone. This, she was in one episode, so she has not had a journey at all. Uh, we've instead focused on Corey. So Corey, played by the same actress, Isa Briones, uh, I guess by the end of it, she'll have some sort of journey. Um, Brent Spiner is in the main cast now, so I guess you could talk about the Adam Soong journey, this descent into madness. Um, you know, uh, Picard's journey is about him realizing what drives him and its misery from childhood the Borg queen has kind of had a journey about like what comes next for her species because it inevitably in all these other alter uh, alternate timelines it, it's ultimately destruction um seven i i don't know uh raffi uh, I, I don't know uh, rios his journey is to understand that he really digs a 21st century doctor um Am I missing anybody? No, I think that sums everyone up. Um, yeah, I mean, there's obviously you know recurring characters like Guinan and stuff thrown in there, but no, I think in terms of your main cast, that that's all of them. It's just I, it, really not a good grasp on like bringing these characters into interesting places, you know? Like, oh, there is there is uh, Talon because Orla uh, Brady is a main one, but like Talon true. has mostly just been there to kind of be the uh, fix-it person. They kind of have the gadgets to get things done. And again, it's the same thing with uh, you know, Isa Brionis and Orla Brady. Like, they're, it's the same actresses playing different characters, although who knows, maybe Talon turns out to be Laris in the end. I, uh, who knows? But uh, and if... It turns out that uh, Laris slash Talin's job throughout uh, the centuries has been to guard the Picard family. I I, I don't know if she's been doing the best job ever. Um, I would seem it, not at all. <laughs> not 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 with Yvette or Robert or uh, Rene the nephew, not Rene Picard the ancestor. Yeah. Um. That's. Yeah, I'm not trying to make light of those situations, but. Um, yeah. Uh. Oh, guess what? <laughs> if I'm if I'm seven and Rafi. And the new Borg Queen says to me, there will be two Renes, one who lives and one who dies. And then there's a 10 second beat where I just have a blank stare on my face before I'm transported away. Don't you think I'd ask the Borg Queen what the hell that means? Yeah, because I had that thought. I was like, what? (laughs) What? (laughs) And why would she even say that if she can't even be helpful? Is she trying to be helpful or is she trying to be mysterious? I mean, the writers are trying to be mysterious because that seems to be their obsession with this show. Well, they speak in riddles, right? So they can have that moment where it's like, oh, all was revealed. <laughs> now, who's going to pose as the other Renee? <laughs> who's putting on a wig? <laughs> it's like um, Adam Sandler and Jack and Jill. Is that what, what it is? <laughs> yeah. That's uh... how they write out Rios. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. That's why he sticks around in the 21st century with uh, Dr. Teresa. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't okay. I don't understand. And, and he doesn't shave the beard. <laughs> he keeps a beard. <laughs> Another thing I thought was really weird is this whole Europa mission, which, you know, again, not a bad concept for a season of there's this mission that is very fateful and they obviously need to, you know, have it uh, occur correctly for the timeline. Fine, I'm on board. But it's one of those things where it's like they keep talking about this mission, but we've seen nothing. They've never, like, 
you know, spent any time showing us the ship that's going to go up or anything going on with Mission Control. We haven't really talked to Rene Picard at all about this mission. It's just this mission they keep referring to vaguely as being important without giving us even one CG shot of the Europa ship being, I don't know, prepared. One, one poorly rendered CG shots um, yeah. based on uh, what this show delivers. I, I really don't have a good grasp of what this mission is, you know, and that's like the thing is when you put all your stakes on this, but you fail to develop what this all means, it's like, well, why should people care if all you're doing is just talking about something that's off screen and it's going to take you you know what like I, I guess this introduced in episode four or i guess i think they were hinting at it in episode three when like there's like buses driving by with like uh advertisements for the europa mission Kim, does that happen a lot you know like um nasa's <laughs> going to outer space so they're advertising about it on buses well like, i guess to be fair i don't live near uh where they'd be launching shuttles from so maybe in that area they just blanket the place <laughs> well they're, they're not launching shuttles in los angeles i, I I'll, no. I'll tell you that uh, actually, no. Based on the finale, doesn't it seem as if that's what we're leading up to? Is like there's going to be a, a launch outside Los Angeles? Like that, Renee's like that's where she's based. Yeah, the show's so stupid. It, that seems to be, <laughs> that seems to be the case. So again, like I, I really, I kind of hoped that we, this episode would have them wrapping up the Los Angeles stuff and we could spend one episode with the Stargazer dealing with the new Borg Queen, who would obviously be Agnes. Um, whereas like, I, I, I mean, we don't know how they're even going to get home at this point. I think we're going to spend like maybe 10 or 15 minutes in the uh, 25th century. Oh, I would be surprised if we get, um, more like, like if they get back and we're at the 30 minute mark of the episode, I'll be shocked. I, 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 I agree with you. I think we're going to be in the 25th century for like, 10 or 15 minutes tops like and do you think it could even be just literally okay they get i don't know i still don't understand how they're going to get back there within their you know normal bodies and all that I, who knows but i'm wondering if it's going to be like they show up on the bridge with that you know a few seconds before the events we saw transpire in episode one they get back they prevent them from firing on the board queen un you know unveiled to be agnes and then it's kind of like, okay, let's all have talks, credits. Like, it could be done in, like, three or four minutes. I can believe that. Like, yeah. that's how little faith I have in the series at this point. Like, do you remember Star Trek V, where the very end was just them docking with, like, some Klingons and them just kind of, like, you know, making peace with each other in that moment? I could see them doing something like that on the star Stargazer, where it's like, that is not even a story element. We are just spending, like, the last two or three minutes doing that. I forget if I mentioned this on the show, but I think I mentioned it to you uh, a few nights ago, though. But I, the hope that I have is, look, why invest so much money in the Stargazer if you're not going to use that mm -hmm. set? So hopefully we get some sort of ship-based season kind of next season where we're on the Stargazer. Who knows? I, I, I suspect more and more you can't let Dr. Teresa and her son just settle on 21st century Earth after <laughs> witnessing all this stuff. So I think Rios will be back. Um, I, I would hope that he gets to be captain. It'd be awesome if he can have Rafi as his uh, executive officer too. And then, you know, like La Serena, maybe Seven of Nine gets to pull a Cleveland Booker and just gets to park La Serena in the shuttle bay, um, you know, for whatever reason, all season long, you know. And uh, then the TNG crew pop in and out for episodic adventures, which I don't think will happen. But this is just me trying to like 
find something to grasp onto. You know, like, I don't know. But, like, I just, I don't see them investing all that money into it, like, which is a pretty, like, impressive-looking bridge and the uh, corridor sets as well without yeah. actually doing anything with it. Because the thing is that I... I they planned out like seasons two and three back to back. They they filmed them back to back, you know, so it only makes sense. It, it does seem weird that they would build a set like that and um and not exploit it, like not do more with it. Because, you know, you even look back at like the show has sometimes, you know, cut corners to save money. I think of the uh, unrendered ships that showed up at the end of season one Picard, you know, where it was just basically all the replicas of Riker's ship. <laughs> um, Again, like that saved money, saved some time. The idea that they would go to all the effort of building a Stargazer bridge and just use it for like a few minutes in episode one doesn't make any sense. So there has to be a usage. That or they are going to, you know, basically um, (laughs) chop that set up a little bit, turn it into another bridge and use it on another show. Like uh, maybe they'll use it next season. Maybe it's, you know, Geordie's ship or something. Sure. Like, I don't know. You can tell we're grasping for anything of of creative value with regards to the show at this point. Like, this is just sad for me. This is, is this going to be a, a sadder? Look, they still have 11 more episodes left to mm-hmm. come to an end of Picard's journey. But they're on track to have a, a sadder end than the nemesis conclusion that we all thought, that we all had to live with for 20 years before Picard returned. You know, and like, that, that's just depressing to think about. Yeah, that is like the bar for me i am not at a point and i don't think i will be next season either where the idea of a all good things style send-off is even possible i think that is out the window uh it is entirely can this be more satisfying than nemesis and i'm almost wondering if what we're gonna have is like another very mediocre to bad season with maybe a really strong scene like the data farewell in season one that they kind of hang their hats on and that's all we have to hang on to i predict a season that's going to hang on um picard having to revisit the death of jack crusher which will bring beverly into the fold and it'll make her relive like some very traumatic moments of her life uh wesley gets to relive traumatic moments and then uh, we can have uh, Riker and troy uh, mourn the death of their son further uh we can have Jordy um cry about uh, holographic leah brahms dumping <laughs> him we can have uh, uh wharf mourn the death of jedzia some more you know these are all the defining characteristics of our characters we can just wallow in misery for an entire season uh with, with regards to these characters that, that that's what i think season three might uh, have in store for us and uh uh <laughs> Sila will return and uh, be depressed about the fate of her own mother, uh, Tasha Yar. It feels like the writers watched like Chain of Command Part 2 and were like, <laughs> what if that, but like a whole series? <laughs> That'd be like, good, right? People like Chain of Command. <laughs> I, I like that you bring that up because you spend a, a, a series like... Uh, in which you're exploring different kinds of missions, you know, and uh, when you get it to an episode like Chain of Command Part 2, that sticks out. It's not as if every single episode of the show is trying to hit that same sort of tone. When you stretch it out for an entire series, it's like, good God, give us a break as audiences. Like, I don't know. It's like, who is the show for? I, I really don't know. I, I, like uh, the Facebook groups seem to indicate there's 
a couple hundred people there that uh, seem to like it. Yeah, I have seen people who have appreciated what it's done with the mythology. I mean, it is, uh, you know, when you go back to the the previous Star Trek shows, they didn't spend as much time analyzing and, uh, you know, changing their own mythology. Like a lot of times these things were more episodic. And I think there's people that enjoy the idea of, you know, spending 10 episodes with the Borg Queen. And so for people who just kind of dig seeing that sort of canon stuff, just I, I, I hate to say explored, but just kind of used over an extended period with little wrinkles thrown in here or there. I guess they can get something out of it. I, it's just not a, it's not a type of story that I'm enjoying at all. And when I look at other things I've liked that have you know spawned shows, I look at like the Star Wars um, shows like Mandalorian and Book of Boba Fett. We were both incredibly frustrated with the Book of Boba Fett, but I never had a sense that like John Favreau and um, Dave Filoni didn't know how to do Star Wars. It's like you could tell they did. The execution of that show was off. I don't think they had a good angle on that character or what that show should even be. But you got the sense they understood Star Wars, but they just were falling short on that one. With this team, I don't have the sense that they really like just even understand kind of how to reinterpret something into into a form that is interesting to people who enjoy the original forms. Or, or new viewers either. Like what kind yeah. of new viewers would be interested in watching this as well? And I agree through the, the Mandalorian uh, versus uh, Boba Fett comparisons there where it's like Boba Fett was not a good show like yeah. at all, but it <laughs> you felt as, as if it did indeed exist in the Star Wars universe. It was just a, a mediocre adventure within it. Whereas this is just, I, I don't know what the, this Picard stuff is supposed to be. Like, it's just like, huh? Uh, you know, like, and also, Cam, it's called Star Trek. You, you, you've spent um, a, a total of uh, seven episodes on Earth walking around. Like, th- this is more like um, Ground Trek. Like, <laughs> LA know. Trek. Vineyard Trek. Yeah. Um, oh, and that's another thing I was going to actually had in my notes, and I'm glad you just reminded me of this. Like, I feel, because you and I had been scratching our heads about using L.A. Um, as a location. Like, why? It seems like they have nothing to say about L.A. They aren't interested in visiting, you know, popular locations or, you know, landmarks, anything like that. It seems to me the entire point of this was just to have a ship next to, like, Picard's, like, winery. Yeah. I I, I can't. If you're asking me to rationalize it, I've, I've got nothing for you. Uh, yeah. I don't know. But um, you have to give this show one thing. This season of Picard has given us way more to talk about than Discovery Season 4. Yeah, that was just... Okay. Picard Season 2 is bad. And I would say that the first half of the season was not painful to watch. And I find I can at least kind of go through these episodes and and just uh, digest them. Uh, whereas season four of Discovery, like that was painful in a boring sense. And you've, I, we've d- discussed it maybe off air, but like, I know I'll be able to rewatch season two of Picard. Fine. Not a problem. I don't know how I'm going to sit through season four of Discovery again. I just, I am not looking forward to that at all. And I just like that. I think that was a better, like a more epic failure than season two of Picard. But I think season two of Picard is just a, a way bigger disappointment for me. Yeah, I mean, if you're going to bring back Jean-Luc Picard, you got to deliver. 
and they didn't deliver the first time and they haven't delivered the second. And that's a real problem. But, you know, I'm looking at my notes right now and I have a full page of notes. When we were doing Discovery Season 4, there was a few episodes where I had like (laughs) barely half a page of notes. I... How did we get through, <laughs> like, two entire hour-long episodes? Well, what we did was we just were doing, like, two to three episodes within one episode of the podcast. Oh, yeah. that I totally forgot about that. Yeah. that That's how pathetic it was, though. Yeah. At least, okay, at least we have been able to do, like, full hour-long episodes of Picard. Um, I, on that note, I, I've got a couple, like, lightning round points I, I, I want to make. Um, and then maybe we can kind of wrap up and go into the uh, the primer for Strange New Worlds, if that works for you. Yeah, that sounds good. Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, why did the exact same implants reappear on Seven of Nine? Um, those perfect replica of the Prime Universe Seven versus different ones? Why, why are they identical? They could have been anything, anywhere. Uh, I know why. It's because it's nostalgia. It's familiar. The writers decided to do so. Um, did La Serena warp into the atmosphere? Um, that We know that you're not even supposed to go to warp within a solar <laughs> system, much less in an atmosphere. Um, Rafi talking to fake Elnor as if he was real and her acknowledging he was fake, but wanting to get some catharsis out of that. That was embarrassing. Um, oh, sorry. Nine. That that one, that that Raffy one. You, we were pondering like a few episodes ago. Like this is not the Raffy that seemed like she was set up in season one, and it's because they want that parallel with like um, the board queen and uh, Picard's mom here, and that's why they yeah. did that with Raffy and like the idea that like Elnor was you know this light that she was holding on to. I I don't know. It it's, it gives me a headache. So recall last season, Ichab died uh, after his I. Uh, was pulled out of its socket. Looks like uh, Seven and Rafi pulled a reverse Echeb when they jammed a dagger into that Borg soldier's uh, eye mm. socket. Um, and the one cool thing, like just from a visual perspective or an interesting idea that I don't think they totally uh, screwed up was when they transported those Borg soldiers into the stone walls yes. of the chateau. Um, that was cool. That was cool. And it took us uh, about 45 minutes to mention one cool thing in this episode. Yep. Picard Season 2. Tune in next week for the finale of Picard Season (laughs) 2. No, no, no. (laughs) Tune in next week, please, for the Strange New Worlds premiere Uh that we'll be discussing, Cam. Is is that a good way to kind of um, venture into our primer for the, uh, the show? I think so. Let's embrace optimism because, as, yeah, next week we'll have Picard, but we're going to have strange new worlds. We've got a new adventure to embark on with hopefully less depressing stories. So that's something to look forward to. And yes, we, I think, should have a primer for strange new worlds right now. Okay. Uh, maybe do we want to kick it off with going through the main characters who we're excited to see return? Um, Anson Mount and Ethan Peck and Rebecca Romaine are all back from season two of Discovery, playing uh, Chris Pike, uh, Una uh, slash number one, and Spock, respectively. Uh, they made a, a great team, a, a great trio. I I was quite delighted when uh, they were around in season two of Discovery. I'm looking forward to them uh, being kind of this, uh, the the latest triumvirates. Uh, I, I guess, is this the first real triumvirate we've had since uh, Enterprises, uh, Archer to Paul, and uh, Trip? Yeah. Um, yeah, they've never created anything in Discovery that was a triumvirate, really. So yeah, I would say so. 
Okay. Uh, how pumped are you with regards to uh, the, the three main characters? I think it's fair to call them. Yeah. So what I'm really looking forward to with Strange New Worlds is like, I obviously love TOS mythology, so I want to see them delving into that. But I know so much about Spock. I'm really looking forward to them doing a lot more with number one, because I thought that, you know, Majel Barrett was very memorable in that cage pilot plus the menagerie uh, two-parters. Um, and I would love to just see that character explored as to, you know, underlining why she's so important. And there was like greatness there in that pilot that they were indicating. And I want to see that more explored because we know Spock very well. I, I've loved Ethan Peck's take on the character. I think he's going to be solid. I think Anson Mount is also going to be, again, he was amazing on season two Discovery. So I'm looking forward to more of that. But to me, like number one is the character who's kind of the X factor where we don't really know what we're going to get because through season uh, two discovery we were often scratching our heads as to when she was actually going to do something <laughs> of note and yeah. now we get to actually see it that's exciting are we going to get some more habanero uh shout outs <laughs> cam was it habanero ketchup or something that she liked on her burgers i think so. habanero sauce sounds right to me sauce. I, yeah sauce. Uh, sauce yeah <laughs> okay. um and because i remember she had that scene and then left and we were like okay that's kind of weird she showed up in the finale and was very you know capable in action scenes but that's largely what she's doing there it felt like we didn't really get a lot of character out of her until that short trek q a with her and spock in the uh, transporter and i loved their back and forth there so in terms of a chemistry of a core cast you often don't know till the show starts whereas in this case we have a pretty strong indicator that these three are really going to click well, the, uh, that Q&A short track, um, it did give us hints of the weirdo young Spock that we'll be mm -hmm. enjoying in that kind of cage era of the character. You know, even just a haircut that they've given him in the, uh, the new series, it, it uh, reflects more of how they did his hair in the cage versus, you know, um, uh, the man trap, you know, about a year later. I, I'm excited for like kind of... Uh, a less refined version of Spock moving forward. You know, and I think that gives us a lot of opportunity to play with a character in, in ways that won't seem super derivative. Like, I, with regards to the Kelvinverse portrayal of, by uh, Zach Quinto, who I, I, he's been excellent, he feels like he's more playing kind of the, the typical Spock that we saw, maybe more so from the movie era versus kind of the television era. And, and so I'm, I'm excited about what they'll do with him uh, going forward. And a lot of the really strong Spock stories in the original series are things like A Mock Time or um, This Side of Paradise, where it's about Spock kind of losing control. And this is like a younger Spock and one that has, you know, as we've seen on the show, been through some trauma fairly recently on, uh, you know, Discovery Season 2. So I think there's a little room to explore a rough around the edges Spock who hasn't gotten to that more serene state of mind. And I think that's always a really interesting angle on that character. Are we going to find uh, Pike in the same place that we left him off in uh, at the very beginning of the cage where he's kind of uh, bummed out uh, kind of, cause he, he's dealing with the knowledge of how he's going to die. Yeah, I think so. Like just th that teaser they put out of him, like riding a horse, I was like, this seems kind of pensive and a little bit mournful. I'm like, I think they're going to have, you know, Pike getting his groove back a little bit. That, that's kind of the vibe, at least I'm picking up from the marketing. 
Um, as we do the show week to week uh, on the podcast, uh, how frequently are we going to mess up the names of Pike and Spock and keep calling one or the other Spike? It happened a few times in uh, Discovery Season 2, and yeah. there was episodes where they didn't feature that strongly. Like, Spock was only in, like, half the season. We have 10 episodes in a row with the two of them as the leads. So, well, yeah. Wasn't there one episode where Spock is only seen on, like, surveillance video? I think so, yeah. <laughs> yeah, okay. So, like, um, some of the other characters, uh, we have the return of Dr. Uh, M- uh, Mabenga, um, as played by, and don't uh, kill me, people, if I mispronouncing uh, the actor's name, but one ba- Babs Alushan Mokun um, as Mbenga. Uh, I think that'll be fun, bringing that character back from the original series as well. Uh, well, I guess, are, are we going to get, like, a, um, for he's a jolly good fellow, Send off to uh, Doctor. Uh, oh, why am I blanking on our favorite Boyce. doctor? Doctor Boyce. Boyce. Yeah, <laughs> is that going to be the premiere? It, like he's kind of taking off the ship. I, I they, they've got to acknowledge Boyce, right? Ah, oh, I, I am almost wondering if at this point they're just going to turn him into like an Easter egg and have Pike refer to him <laughs> in dialogue in some way, which yeah. is kind of amazing that there's only one Boyce. <laughs> like they they've recast all these characters we're going to be on our third a third ahura here um our third pike but and how many spocks at this point with all the child actors god knows yeah. how many whereas like there can only be one voice <laughs> it'd be great if um he's uh this uh version of you know chef from enterprise where uh, yeah. he's only talked about off screen so that'd be fun <laughs> yeah i am genuinely really excited for dr mbenga because like um you know uh, look Having people like Ahura, uh, Christine Chapel there, I'm really interested in seeing younger versions of them. That sounds great. But Ambenga is a character who had very limited to do on the original series. He only pops up in like two episodes or something. And I really love the idea of taking a character who, as shown, was a you know a, a presence on the Enterprise and actually expanding them and giving us a new mythology for an existing character versus kind of just adding to the mythology for a character. Yeah. Um, speaking about character mythology, uh, we have Christina Chong playing one La'an Nudian Singh, uh, who is somehow related to Khan Nudian Singh. Um, this seems k- super cheesy. Yeah. This is my biggest concern. Yeah. Yeah. I just Is this just more member berries sort of BS that we're going to have to deal with? Like, I don't know. It just seems so unnecessary and so arbitrary that they're just sticking this in here because we'll recognize the last name. Yeah, well... Hold on now. Now I'm just doing the thought experiment because Spock is serving on a ship with this character. Yeah. Um. Then they're gonna thaw out Khan in like what, like eight years? You maybe, maybe it's the equivalent of having a Lieutenant Smith aboard your ship. <laughs> it must yeah. be because you'd think he would have said in um in uh, Spacey like, hmm, this reminds me of a a young woman who I used to uh, serve with not long ago, really less than a decade. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Do you think that they're going to pull out the Men in Black um, little red uh, memory sticks and, uh, like, she'll be forgotten about uh, by the uh, series finale? That or, like, her name will never be revealed to the crew, but the audience knows? I don't know. (laughs) That's so stupid. I'm not talking about your idea. I'm just talking about, like, the the, the whole idea of this. Look, maybe the execution is good. Uh, I have some reservations about what the ideas are with some of the people in the writer's room versus what their track record is for execution with regards to at least the live action series. So I don't really know what to make of this character. Like, I, I just, we, we have so little information at this point. I Hopefully it won't be dumb when we get to it next week. Yeah. And 
I've never really understood the obsession with Khan. Like, they just keep bringing him back again and again. And obviously, you know, this is, you know, Christina Chong playing the character, but or not playing Khan, but playing a, a descendant of, or sorry, yeah, uh, descendant of him. Um, but, like, I know that Khan is an iconic villain. But like, Iconic, is, eh? <laughs> but is he a character you hear fans endlessly going on and demanding more con stories? Like, I know there's comic book spinoffs. I know, like, some of that stuff's popular. And there's been novels written. Nicholas Meyer was developing, um, seemed like a trilogy of movies or something built around con. But, like, are people demanding more con stories? Are things tied to con mythology? Uh, not that I'm really... Aware, but I mean, there, there's been more of a push for a Doctor Boyce spinoff uh, over the years than uh, <laughs> some sort of con revival, right? Yeah, like people demand Borg stuff. I see people all the time bringing up Borg Queen, and they want to see more from Borg Queen. And I think Picard season two is servicing that need to some degree. But I don't hear the same like pent up demand for like more con stories. Um, I would honestly be more interested in Zindi stories at this point than con stories. Yeah, but I only want the aquatic Zindis, like the ones that have oh. to be in like uh, fish tanks. Uh, you know, it's kind of like the cetacean ops in Lower Decks. You know, like <laughs> that would be a hoot to have. <laughs> Do you remember that episode of um, of uh, Lower Decks in the last season where it was like split among three ships? Yes. Let's do that on Strange New Worlds, where there's one, like one third of the episode is just a aquatic Zindi ship flying around, <laughs> and there's no subtitles. <laughs> None. <laughs> Yeah. It's like the opening of the Star Wars holiday special with the Wookiees. <laughs> yes. Okay. Um, Cam, uh, we also have uh, one Celia Rose Gooding as uh, Cadet Uhura. Um, that's that, that's interesting. I'm like, it doesn't really kind of violate canon at all. I'm nope. curious about what a rougher, you know, more a little bit more rougher on the edges version of Uhura might be, a little less confident. We know her as a very confident, very competent character. I want to see her kind of learning as she goes to a certain degree. I'll be a little bummed out if she seems kind of more of kind of like a, a perfect do good, you know, kind of keener, you know, I, I want something a little bit more nuanced here, but Uhura is a fan favorite. I just don't know how long they can keep her going on the show. Like what if this series runs five seasons? Like, is she, yeah. is she like, <laughs> does she eventually graduate and, I, like she's not going back to academy like i, I, I don't know um i mean it worked with um with tilly but it kind of made sense because tilly was in her last year at the academy before she got bumped up to ensign so i don't know it's also weird that let's say this show goes five years and uhura's there the whole time just that like we know uhura never mentioned her time with pike on anything to do with the original series at any point uh, or mentioned serving with spock for several years beforehand it's like there's nothing against it within canon because it was never acknowledged, but there's nothing supporting it either, and it feels kind of weird to do. Yeah, I, I mean, I guess the only time that she would have brought it up is during the menagerie. You know, um, yeah, I can, I, 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 I can let that one pass. I'll, I'll just go with it um, there. Um, Jess Bush as Christine Chapel. Well, you know, remember when they had the kind of the big, uh, I guess the first teaser and they revealed that, you know, characters like Mabenga and that Uhura and Chapel would all be back. Remember how dumb we all felt because it seemed kind of like, oh yeah, 
he could have brought back all these characters. I think out of all of them, I, I'm most excited to see like this version of of uh, Nurse Chapel. Like I, yeah. I, I I'm pumped for that. Like and whatever take she has on it versus kind of the uh, Michelle Barrett version, I'm 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 curious to see what that might entail. Well, the Barrett version was very much a recurring guest character, so you didn't have many stories built around her. You did have um, her fiance in What Little Girls Are Made Of, but. By and large, most of her stories were, you know, when she factored in, it was more of just a supporting role. Whereas here, I think we can actually explore that character because it's one who's weirdly prominent on the original series. Like, she is in a lot of episodes, but is not generally regarded as a main character on the original series. And she does, I think that's probably because in the movies, she has those kind of like blink and you'll miss it cameos um, for the most part. And so I would suspect that's why overall she's not regarded as a real original series regular, but she's on that show a lot. So I'm interested in seeing that character explored in the same way I am with uh, number one. It's like these characters we know make them really dynamic and interesting. I just think like she would have been considered part of the core cast had she just been on the bridge more often. And and I'm being honest here, had she not been married to Gene Roddenberry after the falling out with the studio with regards to Star Trek the motion picture you know like uh it, it's like the studio was not pleased with Gene and Gene was not pleased with the studio after that and I I wonder if that kind of hurts Chapel's legacy about continuing her journey with the uh the main crew I, I think she deserved to be part of that at least based on what we saw in the original series yeah because in the original you had a few characters because Rand was obviously someone who was dealt with very poorly um and like her departure like yeah the the character itself was great (laughs) well the character has great moments but is often shuttled aside so it's it's you know obviously off screen was horrific but on screen even that character you'll get like great episodes and then the next thing you know she's doing nothing through an episode so it's it's very up and down but it feels like with both uh, rand and chapel it's like they knew they had valuable characters to use but they didn't they could never quite commit to making them regulars, but also look at the original series. You got three regulars, even Uhura's recurring in many ways. It's just that when you get to the movies, it solidifies that core cast. Uh, rounding out, we have Melissa Navia as Erica Ortegas. Uh, looks as if she's going to be kind of the, uh, the muscle of the ship here. Um, the, the, uh, Chekhov, if you will, right? Cause that's what Chekhov's role was. Um, uh, at least in the latter movies. Um, so yeah, I, I, I don't know how much I can say about this character who, like, all the other ones, they're kind of legacy characters to a certain degree. Um, this is the only one of the main cast who's not. Well, there is Hammer, uh, the uh, Anar, played by Bruce uh, Horak as well. He's not the main cast, though. Oh, is he not? Oh, okay. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Oh, okay. So... Um, yeah, you're right. Like, it's a character who I'm sure we're going to have thoughts on just after the premiere. So in one week. We're going to have things to say about this character. Um, I did watch the little teaser they put online. Seems like she you know, has some energy. Uh, looking forward to seeing what she gets to do on the show. But yeah, right now it's like, okay, cool. Let's see more. Um, and then you mentioned it, but uh, you know, uh, Bruce Horak as recurring character uh, Hammer, who's the Enar officer. Uh, I'm excited for this. Like, w- w- The Enar are pretty cool when we saw them back in Enterprise. Um and we've been talking about having some sort of Andorian presence for the longest time on the bridge. We're finally kind of getting it 
in a different sort of way. Um, he's played by, uh, like Bruce Horak is, is seen impaired as is the uh, Enar uh, character. So um, I think I think it's cool that they're kind of pursuing this. Like it's going to be kind of a different uh, touch to the series that we really haven't seen before. You know, like I, I totally understand that Jordy was, you know, blind, but um, it, he was played by LeVar Burton, who didn't necessarily yeah. have that same um, uh, affliction either. Right, right. Yeah. Um, like representation, I think, is just going to be something they try to do more and more on in the Star Trek shows. The quality of these shows may be up and down, but I think in terms of the casting and some of the decisions in that regard, it's quite commendable what they've been doing on these series. So I hope they continue to do that for sure. Um, maybe a couple of the episode titles we can um, dissect. I don't know. But uh, we've got an episode. Uh, the, the first one is called Strange New Worlds. Uh, a little on the nose, but okay. Um, at least they didn't I, call it pilot. Yeah, that's true. Um, now I'm going back. Should they have called the uh, pilot of Star Trek just Star Trek? <laughs> sure. Or um, or they, uh, they, they could have called the uh, the the pilot. You know, the first episode of this one, like New Life and New Civilizations. You know, mm-hmm. uh, or yeah, so that, that could have been funny. Um, episode two is called Children of the Comet. Uh, Number three is Ghosts of Illyria. Number four is Memento Mori. And number five is my all-time favorite episode title ever made. Uh, It is Spock Amok. I love these titles. And it's something that I have mentioned very early on was that the original series, a lot of those shows had really memorable titles. The original series in particular had really fun, kind of pulpy sci-fi titles. And I love that they're getting back to that. That, to me, is something like... Let's continue down that road. And I actually think uh, Picard titles lately have been pretty boring, but like Discovery had some good ones. Let's continue that. Yeah. Um. What would have to happen on the show f- for you to start feeling that we're going down um, kind of Picard and Discovery territory in, in which it's frustrating to watch? Where you, you said the other night to me, um, <laughs> you're counting down to the end of uh, Picard season. It's not as if you're looking forward to each episode as they come up. Like you, You're looking forward to the season concluding more than anything else. Yeah, I think where it will run into tr- trouble for me is, well, I already feel like part of the problem's already solved, because a lot of it has been these arcs that are just dragged out needlessly on Discovery and Picard. This show is going to have character arcs, but episodic stories. So that is already dealt with. I don't have to hopefully worry about that. So I think for me, the only big concern is, um, well, just like really simplistic kind of stories, like the kind of thing we saw in Discovery Season 4 with like the Buzzsaw prison planet, like building an episode like that. That's not the kind of episodic stories I want, nor am mm. I um, invested in... I'm sorry, the, the Buzzsaw <laughs> Prison Planet, that's the best way to describe that one. Uh, go on, go on, sir. Yeah, nor am I um, hopeful if the show really doubles down on the kind of, well, Picard is, it seems, trauma-induced melodrama, but just that kind of cheap melodrama. That's something that I'm also cautious about given this creative team. Like, the thing is, the melodrama doesn't really work if you're going to it, like, every five minutes uh, per episode. A Discovery is worse about that than Picard is. And it just, the, the, the emotional moments don't feel earned at all. And that's, I, just, I don't know why the writers don't want to earn these moments. I remember, like, going through the, uh, the I think it was the episode commentaries or some sort of interviews with uh, Joss Whedon and Tim Minear with regards to the first season of Firefly. 
And there's a lot of talk about like what's going to be the first episode because they uh, aired the pilot last and then they had the train job as the first one. But then they also hmm. talked about why not do Out of Gas, which was kind of, to me, that was a breakthrough episode of Firefly that just sucked me in. And the the, the creators of the show said uh, that, you know, if you start off with an episode like Out of Gas, and I, I don't need a spoiler to or go into it, but it's a very emotional episode. If, if that's your first episode, it doesn't feel earned. You haven't sat with these characters long enough for these emotional beats to really resonate, though. It just seems as if you are thirsty for pulling on the heartstrings. And that's what you really get with uh, Discovery, especially. Yeah, I mean, imagine I referenced Chain of Command earlier, which was in season six TNG. Imagine if the, the There Are Four Lights was in the pilot of Star Trek Next <laughs> yeah, Generation. I know. <laughs> or episode two. You know what I mean? Like, it would have been... Uh, rather jarring and that feels like what they're doing and i'm hoping strange new worlds can avoid that the best pilot would have been far beyond the stars (laughs) one thing i'm actually really hoping for in this show was okay season two discovery the finale they went off into the future and i was amped i'm like oh my god i can't wait to see what the show's gonna do and then you get there and you're like oh like we've left behind all of the kind of the supporting characters we'd built up the world building we'd been dealing with and now we're kind of starting new and they don't seem to have anything particularly interesting or really colorful and fun in the future to deal with but that stuff was left here so i'm really really hoping for some laurel stuff again i don't want this to be arcs but if we could have maybe an episode dealing with klingons in the season where we have laurel that would be great i am open to an ash tyler section 31 appearance if they could do it well um but just things like that i really hope that they can kind of work that mythology in in a way that maybe like just does it better because it's not stretched over 10 episodes i'm still waiting to encounter a young gorkon in uh the the 23rd century Mm, that'd be cool do you think prime pike or not prime pike um prime um uh, lorca is going to show up i think he's got to at some point you know it's 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 been such a tease over the last five years it, it just kind of makes sense you know working within the canvas of this universe and we did see uh jason isaacs and anton mount on stage together in vegas and they were a lot of fun as a pair so i would love to watch those two play off each other on a show i'm watching <laughs> Jason Isaacs rib Anson Mount <laughs> like it was absolutely hilarious and like Anson Mount could not keep up like Anson Mount was like laughing his ass off so hard because of just all the ribbing um you know it just it'd be fun chemistry to see on screen as well yeah because you don't have to play prime Lorca the same way as mirror Lorca like we can have fun with that character have him be someone who's a little eccentric and maybe hard around the edges but just has maybe a little more of a sense of humor I think he could be a blast on that show what if Prime Lorca is just really, really shy? He's a real introvert. It's kind of like he's like yeah. he's like Buster Bluth peering around corners. <laughs> that was ninety percent gravity. <laughs> so I feel very optimistic about Strange New Worlds. Perhaps foolishly, uh, foolishly. Uh, um, <laughs> and maybe I should like just isolate the time code on that clip to play like at this time next year. <laughs> When we're doing our, uh, you know, year-end wrap-up, because uh, I could really uh, pay for this one. But this show is, you said this about season two Picard. It's saying all the right things. It has all the elements I'm excited for. 
please, please don't let me down. I need a live action Star Trek I can get invested in the way I am Prodigy in Lower Decks. That's basically where I am. Yeah, it's just so strange to me how excited I am for Prodigy where, uh, you know, if you asked me a year ago, I was like, oh, it could be kind of a... um, a fun show for a certain age that I would watch more casually or maybe let a whole bunch of episodes build up and then I'll binge watch them over the course of like a morning. Um, I'm I'm looking forward to Prodigy week to week in a way that I don't care about Picard week to week. You know, like that's that that is damning, like just completely damning of, of where they've taken the, uh, both Picard and Discovery over the last five years. Like I am actively annoyed at the release strategy for Prodigy because of the fact that I want to see more. I want to continue on this adventure, and I'm looking forward to my Picard hiatus. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. How long do you think they'll be on hiatus? I mean, filming has wrapped. Uh, they haven't started filming for Discovery. They are, they've begun filming Strange New Worlds Season 2, so yeah. they'll have Lower Decks out this summer, Prodigy, you know, further on this year. Do you think we get some Picard by the end of this year? Or do we? Do you think it's more likely we'll have to wait until maybe early 2023 at the earliest? Well, do you think um, Picard Season 3 is going to be the next live-action show post Strange New World Season 1? 100%. Uh, because uh, there, there's nothing else in the can yeah. at this point. And they've only started uh, filming Season 2 of of uh, Strange New Worlds and season uh, five of Discovery. They're still writing those episodes right now. So um, Strange New Worlds goes for 10 weeks, starts in May. So that, yeah, by the summer it's over, you know. So um, I I think it, I, I would have to imagine Picard is going to be towards the fall. I think it has to be. I think like their whole thing is they want people to be paying to subscribe to this, uh, you know, to, Paramount Plus, and I don't think they're going to drag out Picard season three forever. Like they don't need to; they already have it. So <laughs> they're not, yeah. not going to drag it out forever, like Picard season two has done with its storylines. <laughs> Bada bing! So I think on that note, our assignment is complete. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, we want to hear from you. Jump on over to the Facebook page at facebook.com/slash/subspacepod. As we said, next week we'll be back with the premiere of Strange New Worlds as well as the season finale for Picard Season 2. And also, leave reviews for us wherever you get your podcasts. Wherever you're downloading them, please. It helps us with rankings and placements and all that sort of stuff. Helps promote the show. You can, of course, also find us on the Twitter. I'm at Cam. B is in variations on the word connection, please. Smith. You can find me at Reportin. That's R-E-P-O-R-T-O-N-N as in... Another Noonian Sing. Why not? Okay, so until next time, the arena is closed. complete.